Chapter Twenty Two of the Red Window. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Red Window by Fergus Hume. Chapter Twenty Two. The Truth. The arrest of Sir Bernard Gore made a great sensation. It was generally supposed that he was dead, and his unexpected appearance surprised everyone. Also, as he was believed to be guilty, the public was amazed that he should thus thrust himself into jeopardy. But more thoughtful people saw in Gore's surrender a proof of his innocence, and argued very rightly that were he guilty of the murder of Sir Simon, he would not come forward as he had done to stand his trial. An additional surprise came in the arrest of Michael, who was said to be the half-brother of Gore, and to resemble him very closely. A rumor got about, no one knew how, that this resemblance between the two would be made on the basis of the defense. Also, the boy, Jerry Moon, who was implicated in the matter, was in charge of the police, and it was expected that he would make startling revelations. On the whole, there was every chance that the forthcoming trial would be extremely interesting. Everyone looked forward with great expectation to the time when Sir Bernard would be placed in the dock. Inspector Groom, formerly in charge of the case, was now attending to the matter again. He said very little, although the reporters tried to make him give his opinion. But from the few words he let drop, it would seem that he believed firmly in the innocence of the accused man. "'I don't see anything about Beryl in the papers,' said Coniston, when at Durham's office." there is nothing to say about him at present replied the lawyer we have not caught him yet and perhaps never may victoria warned him then yes that imp of a boy wrote a letter stating that bernard was at cove castle and advising flight victoria caught a train shortly before eleven and came straight to beryl's rooms the address of which she received from jerry beryl as jerry had done saw that the game was up and realized that we knowing gore to be alive had been simply playing with the imposture of michael he bolted that same night and managed to cross to the continent at least we suppose so as no trace of him can be found what will you do about him then durham shrugged his shoulders there is nothing can be done he answered with the evidence of michael jerry and miss randolph and ptolemeo we shall be able to prove Bernard's innocence and his cousin's guilt. Bernard will be set free without a stain on his character, but as to how Beryl will be arrested, or whether he will ever be punished, I am unable to give an opinion. What about Mrs. Gilroy? Ah, we want her, but we cannot find out where she is. Even her son doesn't know. He would speak out if he did know, as I fancy he is sincerely repentant for the trouble this new addition of the Corsican brothers has caused. But had you not some plan to lure Miss Gilroy out of her hiding? Durham searched among his papers and produced a journal. Read that, said he, pointing to a column. It was an article dealing with the case, in which the writer hinted that Michael was guilty and Bernard innocent. It was also stated that Michael would certainly be put in the dock, and that sufficient evidence was in the power of the prosecution to procure his condemnation. The whole article was written strongly, and after reading it, Coniston, had he not known the true facts of the case, would have fancied Michael guilty. He said as much. Durham smiled. 
that is exactly the feeling i wish to convey to miss gilroy he declared taking back the paper she if anyone can prove the guilt of beryl but for some reason perhaps for money she is hiding if she reads that paragraph she will at once come forward to save her son and then will be able to prove beryl's guilt beyond a doubt but she may not take in the particular journal said coniston oh this is only one paper within the next few days that article will be copied in every newspaper in london miss gilroy is bound wherever she is to hear of the arrest of her son and of bernard giving himself up to learn what is taking place she will read whatever paper she can get hold of then she will see that article and if it doesn't bring her forward to save michael and condemn beryl i am very much mistaken it sounds rather like contempt of court said dick gravely durham laughed it is in a way every man has a right to be considered innocent in english law until his guilt is proved but i arranged with scotland yard that this article should appear in the hope that mrs gilroy an important witness mind you should be brought forward i can't exactly tell you all the details but you may be sure that the thing has been done legally besides argued durham calmly seeing we have such a strong proof of beryl's guilt there is no doubt that michael will have a fair trial i say said coniston rising to take his leave do you know it's bernard's idea that jerry might have committed the crime it seems to me that beryl is too great a coward to do it himself stuff said durham quite in the style of miss berengaria the boy could not have possibly strangled the old man he was leading bernard to the square to within a few minutes of the time when mrs gilroy came out shouting murder no coniston beryl is the man as is proved by his handkerchief he came to the house immediately Ptolemyo left, since he passed that man in the square. The boy saw him departing, after Bernard was lured to be on the spot. Beryl was hurrying back to the theatre to arrange for his alibi. Everything was beautifully arranged, but for the discovery of Michael we might have learned nothing. Also, Ptolemyo's evidence is valuable. Mrs. Gilroy, having been in the house at the time, is the woman who knows all, doubtless beryl threatened to denounce her son and that was why she accused bernard counting on the resemblance to carry the matter through what an infernally wicked woman said dick angrily oh not at all mrs gilroy is a mother and she naturally would sacrifice the whole world to save her son besides she may have acted on the spur of the moment and then had to go on with the matter well said coniston putting on his hat I sincerely hope your net will capture her. It is sure to. A woman who would try and save her son by accusing an innocent man would not remain quiet to see him hanged. By the way, Miss Berengaria is in town, I believe? Yes, with Miss Randolph and Alice. They are stopping at the Waterloo Hotel, Gulf Street. I believe they expect you along to dinner this evening. Durham nodded. I received a note from the old lady and intend to come. By the way, Dick, I hope you are fascinating her. Remember, she can leave you five thousand a year, and can't last much longer. I believe Miss Berengaria will see her century, said Dick. Besides, now you have my affairs in order, I have enough to live on. But not enough to marry on, said Durham significantly. Coniston flushed. If you speak of Lucy, he said, she has a little money of her own, and our two incomes will keep us alive. 
it won't keep up the dignity of the title oh the deuce take the dignity of that said coniston carelessly in this democratic age who cares for titles the americans dick you ought to marry one i'll marry lucy who is the sweetest girl in the world said dick firmly we understand one another and as soon as this business is over mark you will marry no bernard and i will go out to the front what does bernard say that yes he intends to go back to his imperial yeomanry uniform and i honor him for it said dick with some heat bernard is not the man to sneak out of doing his duty and miss mallison approves i will go out to the front also and dare say i shall manage to get a place of sorts from which to take pot-shots at the enemy but my dear fellow said durham much disturbed you may be killed not was never in danger said coniston opening the door you get bernard out of this scrape mark and then come and see us start we'll return covered with glory and without legs or arms said durham crossly just as if bernard hadn't enough danger he must needs run his head into more go away dick it's your feather brain that has made him stick to his guns not a bit retorted coniston slipping out it's bernard's own idea good-bye mark i hope you will recover your temper by the time we meet at aunt berengaria's hospitable table things fell out as durham prophesied the article was published in all the london and country journals and provoked both praise and blame many said that it was wrong to hint that a man was guilty before he had been tried others pointed to the sufferings that the innocent bernard gore had undergone and insisted that even before the trial his name should be cleared those in authority took no notice of the storm thus raised which seemed to confirm durham's statement that the article had been inspired from high legal quarters but the result of the publication and discussion of the matter was that one day a woman came to see durham at his office the moment she entered he guessed who she was even although she was veiled clothed from head to foot in black and looking tragic enough for a muse poor soul for certainly she had cause mrs gilroy raised her veil and examined the keen face of the lawyer you did not expect to see me she asked taking the seat he pointed to silently durham was not going to tell her that the article had been published to draw her forth as she might have taken flight and suspected a trap it is a surprise he said artfully and i am at a loss to understand why you have come to save my son said mrs gilroy looking at him with haggard eyes michael gilroy michael gore he has a right to his father's name pardon me i think not bernard gore is the heir ah said the woman bitterly and clasping her hands with a swift nervous gesture he has all the luck the title the money the you must admit said durham politely that he had had very bad luck for the most part his own foolishness is the cause of it did you come to tell me this mrs gilroy sat quite still for a moment and durham noticed that even what good looks she had were gone her cheeks were fallen in her eyes were sunken her drab hair was streaked with white and her face wore a terrible expression of despair and sorrow i have come to tell you all i know she said i would not do so save for two things one is that i wish to save my son who is absolutely innocent the other that i am dying dying i hope not 
"'I am dying,' said Mrs. Gilroy firmly. "'I have suffered for many years from an incurable disease. "'It doesn't matter what. "'But I cannot live long, and, but for my son, "'I should have ended my miserable life long ago, "'owing to the pain I suffer. "'Oh, the pain, the pain, the pain,' she moaned, "'rocking to and fro, as Michael had done. "'Durham was sincerely sorry for her, "'although he knew she was not a good woman.' let me get you some brandy he said no replied mrs gilroy waving her hand call in some clerk who can take down what i have to say i will probably speak quickly as my strength will not last i have come from a hospital to see you get a clerk who writes rapidly and be quick durham called in a clerk and gave the order then turned to his client was it on account of going to the hospital that you left gore hall he asked mrs gilroy still rocking bowed her head did you want me she asked i wanted to tell you that michael came to miss berengaria's to michael he came there why to pass himself off as bernard ah that was part of beryl's scheme to get the money was it part of his scheme to poison michael said durham mrs gilroy started to her feet flushed with anger did he do that mr durham she asked did he dare to yes he got michael to sign a will as bernard leaving all the money to him and then employed jerry to poison him jerry should not have done so for two or three days but he was eager to get away as he was afraid of being found out so he poisoned your son within a few hours of the signing of the false will the villain said mrs gilroy thinking of beryl but he shall not escape i have come to tell you all i wish i could see him hanged he is the cause of all the trouble i saw in the papers that sir bernard was alive she added how did he escape he swam across the river and went down to cove castle we knew all the time he was there in hiding who knew myself lord coniston miss berengaria and miss mollison so you played with michael said miss gilroy drawing a breath yes miss mollison and miss plantagenet both knew he was not the true bernard your hint about your son being like his father showed me who michael was and i told the others yes mrs gilroy i allowed michael to sign the false will so as to trap beryl but believe me had i known beryl intended to poison your son i should not have allowed the matter to go so far you could do nothing else said mrs gilroy sadly both michael and myself have suffered i was deceived by a false marriage and the sins of the father have been visited on the child that is true enough said durham but for the sin of walter gore michael with his wonderful resemblance to bernard would not have been born and beryl would not have been able to plot as he did well well he is an exile and has been punished when you can prove his guilt as i suppose you intend to do said the lawyer grimly i'll do my best to have him brought back and hanged you will be pleased at that mrs gilroy laughed in a hollow manner and cast a strange look at the lawyer i should be pleased indeed she said but there's no such luck hanging is not beryl's dukeripen that's a gypsy word i was found and brought up by the gypsies said mrs gilroy indifferently although i am not of romany blood but i learned a few secrets from the romany added mrs gilroy her eyes flashing and one of them relating to drabbing if you know what that means may come in useful this day 
What does drabbing mean?" "It has to do with drows," said Mrs. Gilroy, laughing and rocking. "I dare say you'll know the meaning of both words before the end of this day." And she began to sing softly: "The Romany chaw and the Romany chal Shall jaw tossilor To drab the ballor And dook the gry." Durham thought that her illness had affected her head. He did not say anything, but resolved to get her examination over as quickly as possible. A clerk entered at the moment, carrying a typewriting machine, which he set down on a small table near at hand. "'I think it will be best that your words should be taken down by the machine,' said Durham, turning to Mrs. Gilroy, "'as the writer can keep up with your speech.' "'As you please,' said Mrs. Gilroy coolly. "'I have to sign my statement in the presence of witnesses, you and this young man.' but why do you there there said the woman impatiently don't i tell you i have very little strength left are you ready yes madame said the clerk who was addressed then don't interrupt i am about to tell you strange things and she began forthwith the clerk taking down all she said as quickly as she spoke durham pencil in hand made a note occasionally i am a foundling said mrs gilroy smoothly and swiftly I was picked up by some gypsies called Lavelle in the New Forest. I was with them till I came of age. I was then a pretty girl. In our wanderings we came to Hurston, where I saw Walter Gore at a fair. I did not know he was married, as we stopped at Hurston only a short time. We went away. Walter followed and said he loved me. He married me at last. We went abroad, then came back to London. When my child Michael was born, I learned the truth, for Walter had deserted me. I went down to Hurston to see Sir Simon. He sent me to the States with Michael, my son. Walter sent me money. This is slightly different to what Michael said, remarked Durham. I understood that you never saw Sir Simon till you returned from the States. Michael doesn't know everything, said Mrs. Gilroy impatiently. I tell my own story in my own way. Do not interrupt. I remained in the States for a long time. Then Walter died, and his true wife also. I came to see Sir Simon again. He was sorry for me, and offered to make me the housekeeper at Gore Hall, which should have been my home, but he insisted that Michael should return to the States. My boy did so, in charge of some friends. Sir Simon promised to give me five hundred a year when he died, so that I could help my boy. He only left me one hundred, the mean villain. I supported my son out of my wages. He grew weary of the States and came to England. Sir Simon was angry, but he got him a situation in London, on condition that the boy never come to Hurston. That was why no one knew there was anyone resembling Sir Bernard so closely. Well, in London Michael fell in with Julius Beryl. I know all that, said Durham quickly. Michael told me. I know he was employed by Beryl to impersonate Bernard, so that Sir Simon's anger should be aroused. Well, then, you know a good deal, said Mrs. Gilroy, but not all. No, indeed, she added, smiling strangely, not all. Tell me the events of that night, and how Beryl killed Sir Simon. Mrs. Gilroy laughed again. I am coming to that. You will be much surprised when I tell you all. Bernard was in town as a soldier. Beryl got Michael to masquerade. I never knew it was my own son who courted Jane Riordan. Had I known, I should have put a stop to the business. I really thought, from the description given, that Jane's lover was Bernard. 
I wanted Sir Simon, whom I told, to throw over Bernard and let my son have the property. He would have done so, but that Michael had forged a check. I know about that also. Very good, we will pass that, said the woman. Well, Sir Simon was angry. I saw there was no chance for my boy, and cast about how else to get the money for him. Beryl informed me that he intended, by means of the red window and Jerry, to lure Bernard to the square, in the hope that when he saw the red light he would come up and have a quarrel with his grandfather. About what? asked Durham. About Bernard's supposed courting of the housemaid. That was why Beryl employed my son to masquerade. He knew that Sir Simon was a proud man, and would not readily forgive such a thing. He knew Sir Simon was regretting his quarrel with Bernard, and wished to give it renewed life. Well, then, Beryl arranged to go to the theatre. He said he would come round after ten or near eleven to see if the old man had quarrelled with Bernard. He hoped he would be able to get the order to turn Bernard out. He did not know, though, at what time Bernard would arrive but when he did i was to open the door to him jerry's whistle was to be the signal said the lawyer yes then i was to show bernard up and the quarrel would then take place beryl did not really intend murder then mr durham you will harp on that said mrs gilroy impatiently wait till i speak out you see how matters were arranged for that night miss randolph and beryl went to the theatre so they should not be mixed up in the quarrel. But Miss Randolph knew nothing? Of course not. Beryl knew she was friendly to Bernard and wished her out of the way. For that reason he took her to the theatre. I then suggested to Sir Simon that probably Bernard knew of the house from you and might come back. Sir Simon had sent for him to the kitchen. But my son, being afraid, ran away. Sir Simon laughed at the idea of the red lamp, but he did not forbid my arranging it. I got a lamp and placed it before the window. Then I placed across the window a red bandana of Sir Simon's. From the outside the signal could be plainly seen. What happened next? asked Durham, while the typewriter clicked in a most cheerful manner. Various things, retorted Mrs. Gilroy, and not those you expect to hear. I sat downstairs, waiting and working, Sir Simon was in the room with the red light showing through the window. The trap was laid. It only remained for Jerry to bring Bernard to fall into it. Shortly before ten, an Italian called. Bernard's uncle, Signor Tolomeo? Yes, I knew him, and took him up to Sir Simon, thinking his presence might make the quarrel worse. All Beryl and I wished to do was to prevent Bernard and Sir Simon from becoming reconciled. Well, Ptolemeo saw Sir Simon, and while he was with him, my son arrived. I asked him what he was doing there. He told me then that he had been masquerading as Bernard, and informed me about the check. He was afraid of trouble in connection with it, as by means of it, Beryl held him in his power. He came to make a clean breast of it to Sir Simon. I tried to stop him going up. But why, interrupted the lawyer quickly, I had my own plans, with which Michael's presence interfered, said Mrs. Gilroy coolly. However, he would not be overruled, and went up to see Sir Simon. The old man concealed Ptolemeo behind a curtain, and then quarreled with Michael about the check. There was a great row, as Sir Simon threatened to have Michael arrested. In the middle of the quarrel, Ptolemeo came out. Michael took him for a detective and fled. He ran out before I could stop him. 
Then Ptolemeo departed also. I went up the stairs and implored Sir Simon not to arrest my son. Then Beryl arrived nearly at the half-hour. How did he enter? Ptolemeo, running after Michael, left the door open. Beryl tried to pacify the old man. I remained in the room all the time. Then you saw the murder. Wait a moment, said Mrs. Gilroy, rising in the excitement of her tale. Beryl and the old man quarreled. Then Sir Simon told him to go back to the theater. Beryl, thinking he had offended Sir Simon, past recall, wept. Yes, said Mrs. Gilroy, with a sneer. He cried like a child. Sir Simon was disgusted. He snatched his handkerchief from him and threw it on the floor. Beryl was ordered out of the house again. He left and went back to the theater. The interview took only a few minutes. But the murder? I committed it, said Mrs. Gilroy simply. Durham and the clerk both jumped and stared. You? said the lawyer. Yes, said Mrs. Gilroy coolly. You have been on the wrong tack all along. You thought that Bernard killed Sir Simon, that my son did so, that Ptolemeo did so, that Beryl was guilty. But you were all wrong. I, and none other, killed Sir Simon. You say this to save your son? No. Ptolemeo can prove that Sir Simon was alive when Michael fled from the house. Beryl can prove that I was alone with Sir Simon. I was late. The servants were in bed. I determined to kill the old man. Why, in heaven's name? Because I saw that when Bernard came he would be arrested, and there would be a chance for my son getting the money. Then Sir Simon intended to have Michael arrested. I wished to stop that. Then, again, for years, Sir Simon had insulted and humiliated me. I hated him fervently. Oh, I had plenty of reasons to kill the old brute. I went downstairs and got the chloroform. Had you that ready? asked Durham, horrified at this recital. Yes and no. I didn't buy it, then. I always thought that Sir Simon kept his will at the hall. And I bought the chloroform months before, hoping one night to make him insensible, so that I could look at the will. But the chloroform was not wasted, said Mrs. Gilroy, with a pale smile. I brought it with me to town, always ready to watch for my chance of rendering my master insensible, and of reading the will. I wanted to see if he left Michael anything, and if he had really left me the five hundred he promised. Besides, in his death, I saw a chance of getting rid of Bernard by hanging, and of having my son acknowledged as the heir. But Beryl? You reckoned without Beryl? No, said Mrs. Gilroy calmly. You forget the handkerchief. I took that down with me and soaked it with chloroform. I guessed that the handkerchief would condemn Beryl, should it be necessary to accuse anyone. I did not foresee what would happen, added the woman impatiently. I only acted as I saw things then. I came upstairs, and while pretending to arrange Sir Simon's cushions, I clapped the handkerchief over his mouth. He struggled for a long time. It is not easy to chloroform people, said the woman pensively. I thought they went off at once. But Sir Simon was some time struggling. Go on, go on, said Durham in disgust. Get this over. Mrs. Gilroy laughed and drew her shawl tightly about her spare figure. After he was insensible, she continued, I strangled him with his own handkerchief, after tying Beryl's handkerchief across his mouth. Then I went down and took my work up again while waiting for Bernard. Durham made a gesture of abhorrence. You could work? Why not? said Mrs. Gilroy. There was nothing else to do. The old man was dead. 
the trap was set. All I had to do was wait till Bernard walked into it. Had you no regrets for that? None. Bernard Gore robbed my boy of his birthright. Bernard was the eldest son, even though Michael had been born in. I know all about that, said Mrs. Gilroy, waving her hand. Spare me your preaching. Is there anything more you wish to know? About this plot to get the false will signed? I knew little of that. I accused Bernard, and he escaped. Beryl guessed I murdered the old man, but for his own sake he held his tongue. I heard Bernard's whistle, or rather Jerry's, and went out crying murder. The rest you know. Then I played my part. I left the diary at the hall for Miss Randolph to find, as I thought Ptolemeo might be accused. I fancied, as things turned out, it would be better to have Bernard back and get him to do something for Michael. That was why I prepared the diary. It was a false entry? asked Durham, looking at her. Miss Gilroy yawned. Yes, it was. I prepared it, as I say. I am getting very tired, she added. Let me sign the paper and go. You must sign the paper, and you must be arrested, said Durham. As you please, said Miss Gilroy, perfectly calmly. Then Durham sent for Inspector Groom, and, pending his arrival, Mrs. Gilroy signed the paper, with Durham and the clerk as witnesses. She then fell asleep, and Durham went out to receive Groom. They talked together for some time, then entered the room. Mrs. Gilroy was lying on the floor in convulsions, and laughed when she saw them. "'Good heavens!' cried Groom. "'She has poisoned herself.' "'I have taken drowse,' gasped Mrs. Gilroy. "'That's my Dukerin. "'And she died hard.'" End of chapter 22 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah